the season. The Jaguars officially in their bye week. They're three and seven. Not the record. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply that maybe we thought they'd have after the first three weeks of the season. But, um, you know, now that I look back at it, this isn't exactly far off from where I expected them to be at this part right, of, yeah, point I think, of the season. Yeah, I think, yeah, you know, we've talked about it beginning of the season. I thought six or seven wins was kind of the, the high point for this team. They had three wins last year. They started out, yeah, I sound like a broken record, but I think that two-and-one start really amplified how quickly this team had grown and uh, ex, you know, expecting more. But I think we've seen who they are. They're just a team that's young, still growing, and has a lot of room to improve to get to that. Yeah, I think the, the biggest thing for them is they just have not yet learned how to close. Had, had they learned how to close, we'd be talking about a team that was probably 5-5 five and five at this point, um, ahead of schedule. But I think they are who we thought they are. They're still a young team. And um, hope for the future. I feel much different at this bye week sitting at three and seven as I did uh, much more positive on this team than I was last year. Yeah, and the reality is it, it was the two teams that they beat to get those two wins and the way they did it. People had high expectations for the Colts. Uh, you know, they were talked up as the AFC South champion. They're presuming that like they were ready to make a run deep into the playoffs. People expected playoffs at minimum for them. They already have a brand new coach. And then they took down the Chargers, another team that had been in the preseason Super Bowl hype train. They added Khalil Mack, Justin Herbert's this rising star. People saw greatness in that team, and the Jaguars were able to take them down. It was, I think that's what, what, what changed some people's perception, even changed our perception of maybe this team's ahead of schedule, is because these two teams, the bar was set for them, mm-hmm. and the expectation was they had the talent to reach that bar. Neither one of them has really gotten to where they, at this point of the year, is where they thought they would be either. If the Jaguars had just beat the Commanders and then beat the Texans, like, I don't think anybody's, you know, oh, oh, maybe this team is for it. It's that they beat these two teams that everybody presumed before the year started was would ready be, to make this right. run deep through the playoffs and were like two of the AFC elite I mean, the expectation was that Matt Ryan was there to push the Colts over the top. They were going to dominate the AFC South, and they were going to win the division. The Chargers, I mean, seriously, they the, people had talked them up as possible Super Bowl champions because of the Khalil Mack edition. Mm-hmm. So I understand, like, where, where we were flawed in our, our expectations there. But you're right. Before the season started, we talked about it, you know, six – Wins was a nice point where you could feel double comfortable. Double from last year. Double from last Step year. Step ahead. You know, when I did my my preseason prediction, I had them winning four games before the bye. Uh, the Texans game was would have been the probably the difference in this one, a game they should have won. I didn't pick them to beat the Chargers, though, for sure. Um, but it, it, was those, it was that difference, you know, and I had them winning three after the bye. So not exactly ideal numbers, but... It's not far off from where they're at right now. Right. Yeah, and uh, again, I, I, the one that slips away to me is the Texans game. Your 13-6 13, 13 game, I mean, just 
inexcusable that you lose that game if you're Doug Peterson and company. I thought yeah. that was the one on the schedule. And we again, we saw the Texans absolutely hammer Jacksonville last year when they went into the offseason and the, the talk around the Texans last year was this could possibly be one of the worst teams in NFL history. They come out and absolutely level the Jaguars 37-24 in week one and you thought under Urban Meyer, okay, this is going to be a long season. Right. Did not see Jacksonville losing to the Texans this year. I thought that was, you look at the schedule, that was probably the most winnable game through that bye week. And they end up laying an egg and losing that game. And like you said, I did not see them winning against the Chargers. They win that game with just going away in that game, 38-10. to 10. So it's been a very different kind of team for Jacksonville. But I go back to what Doug Peterson said in his introductory press conference. This is not going to be an overnight fix. No. This is going to be a – I mean, it's a team that drafted number one back-to-back -back years for a reason. It was a bad, bad team. To me, you're getting a rookie Trevor Lawrence this year. You're rebuilding him, getting a rookie, rookie Travis Etienne. He's shown that he is going to be the back of the future. Um, so I don't think I'm necessarily – uh, massively disappointed in this team at the bye. I do think they've left at least two wins on the table. And then you're talking maybe a five-win team at the bye. So I don't. I'm not highly disappointed uh, with where they are at the bye record-wise. Yeah, you're three and seven. You're picking high in the draft once again. Um, but I think they have shown progress. They have shown positive strides. That they are a team that's on the up and up, ascending uh, under Doug Peterson. So I, I, I will say I'm not disappointed and I'm not enamored with where they are at the bar. I'm, I'm content with where they are at the bar in this part of the rebuilding process. All right, with 10 games out of the way, let's do this. Let's name our most valuable, least valuable, and most frustrating player. Let's start with most valuable. I think me and you probably have a very similar train of thought when we look at the, the, the first half MVP for the Jaguars. I think so. I think, to me, the first half MVP on offense has got to be Travis Etienne. Yeah. Uh, he is, uh, he's answered questions for me. He, he, he looks like a rag doll out there getting thrown around against some of these guys. He looks small against some of these linebackers, throwing him down in the preseason. He's taking hits. He's fumbling out of bounds. To me, you're, you're questioning, can Travis Etienne hold up to the rigors of an NFL season being somewhat of an undersized back? He answered those questions to me in the Vegas game where he had 28 carries. He's burning time, burning clock at the end of the game. They're feeding him at the end to run that time down. You know, you, you see James Robinson, a durable between the tackle guys running in those type of games. You need to, to burn the clock. And Travis Etienne, to me, answers that. We knew he'd be the big play back, but Travis Etienne, to me, answered he can be that guy every down for Jacksonville. 28 carries against the Raiders. That's a massive amount of carries for a small back like yeah. him. He's on pace for a 1,000-yard season. To me, he's that, that back that Jacksonville has not had since Maurice Jones-Drew. To me, he's the offensive MVP for me in the first half. Oh, by all means. I think he's my first-half MVP overall for this team. Travis Etienne has been like a shining bright light. And don't get me wrong, I think he, it was a close second to Christian Kirk, what he's been able to do for him. But Travis Etienne gives this offense the home run threat that they've missed forever. Um, he is by far, right now, their best player. The Chiefs were worried about him, came in with a game plan to say they wanted to be able to stop and contain Travis Etienne. They executed that. And you want to see teams feeling like they need to do that on a week-to-week -week basis. So Travis Etienne definitely providing some things for this team. He gets my first half MVP. All right, how about your least valuable player for the first yeah, half? That's tough, but I am going to go with uh, Josh Allen. Uh, Josh Allen, maybe a Trayvon Walker hybrid. Um, again, Josh Allen, to me, is a guy you need to have seven, eight, nine, ten sacks, being uh, 
a, a game-altering defensive type of player, and he's just not been that. To me, you're going into a fifth-year option year. You're wanting a big-money contract, and he's just not been that guy. He's just been invisible too many games for me. And I guess, you know, Trayvon Walker, I did great on a curve for him. He's learning a new position. He's not getting those statistical numbers. He's changing plays, but you're number one pick in the draft. And we knew he would be a project for, uh, for this first year. He's learning a new position in a position for the first time ever in, in you know, college or NFL because he's, he's been a hybrid kind of guy. Um, so I, it may be great on a curve with him. But to me, Josh Allen, you're expected so much more for him, and he's just he's neutralizing games. He's invisible. Uh, but to me, so Josh Allen would be that, uh, to me, the guy he's been – a, an invisible type of player when he needs to be that home run defensive player. My least valuable player is on defense as well. The defense has been frustrating for sure. I'm going Shaquille Griffin. Okay. I mean, before Griffin got hurt, uh, Shaq was playing awful. Uh, and you know what? In that Colts game, some of that stuff is just unforgivable. Uh, some of the, the, the routes he was giving up, the way he was lining up off, if he was just hurt and he couldn't play the coverage that he knew he needed to play and that the coaching staff wanted him to play in those situations, he needed to go and tell the trainers, like, look, I'm hurt, I can't do it, and put put a backup in because you can't play like that. And that wasn't the first time this season we've seen him get dusted, and mm-hmm. it, if he comes back off injury reserve, it won't be the last. So by far, I think he's the least valuable player. Did the Jaguars need him? Yeah, because that other cornerback spot is far from a, a sure thing. I mean, right now they're rotating a seventh-round pick and, and, and Trey Herndon, who's a veteran player, who's a veteran depth player, but – uh, Shaq just wasn't giving you enough early on in the season, um, and, la- and he wasn't last year. He, either. Was, I mean, he wasn't. He's he's he, not living up to the billing of the contract that he was right. given. Is he a solid player when he when healthy? Sure, but is he worth the big deal that the Jags paid him? No, no, absolutely not. No. Yeah, I agree. And um, again, to me, we said this about the Jacksonville roster in different spots. Just a guy. Yeah, Shaq is just a guy. Yeah. And it, my most frustrating player, it was your least valuable. Josh Allen's just been frustrating because early on in the season, he was get, at least getting pressure. So he was getting close, and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden that seems to have fallen apart. Now the question is, what happened? Like, why has he not putting it together? Because he's just frustrating from a standpoint of he's going next year's the final year of his deal. The Jaguars literally cannot afford to let this guy walk. The rap on this franchise is that their players never get second contracts. And Josh Allen has all the potential in the world, but they can't pay him the big we, contract that he's going to get on the free agent market if he keeps playing like this. And, and we've I said know, potential for years. Since yes, they took him, we've that, said potential. And that's the problem. That's why he's so frustrating because I he knows all he has to do is hit the free agent market and somebody's going to write Absolutely. that check because the potential's there. And because young pass rushers with his type of potential don't hit the free agent market very often. Right. So one we've, way or another, he's getting paid. We've it, seen potential, though, with Dante Fowler. He was a potential guy. He was the edge rusher, the guy, the edge setter for Jacksonville. They took him unfulfilled expectations there. So Josh Allen, tantalizing potential when they drafted him. They, he, you know, many say that he fell to Jacksonville in that draft out of Kentucky. And, again, great rookie season, but had a guy on the opposite side of him, Calais Campbell, who was a monster and helped, you know, double team and stuff and open things up for him. Um, but again, not fulfilling that potential. We've said it year two, we said it year three. We've asked this year, people are asking Doug and questions, where is Josh Allen? You've got to have him step up. Where is he in this progress? And you cannot, you need Josh Allen 
to play like a Calais Campbell, and he's just not there. Yeah, you need Josh Allen to find a way to be more consistent, and it's just it's maddening to see it. And you know he wants it, and he's such a great guy, and it's going to be interesting. We know he's going to go in. There's no way they give him a contract this offseason, so next year he's playing on as a free agent. And I personally hate guys that show up and put up career numbers in the final year of their deal. Hate them. Because if I was a general manager, I'm like, I don't know if I can trust you if I hand right. you all this money. You showed up when you knew the money was on the line. What are you going to do now that you got it locked up? Um, and it, to me, it's, it's, it's make or break time for Josh Allen. Because as you alluded to, some team will trade for him. Some team will pay Josh Allen big money, hoping that they get that potential. But he would right. probably go into a better situation, a la a team with a proven guy on the other side of him, like we saw in Josh Allen's breakout year with Calais Campbell. Um, and, again, maybe that's what he needs to have that potential unlocked. Maybe he needs a Batman and Robin kind of situation. Uh, and, you know, Jacksonville was hoping Trayvon and Josh would be Batman and Robin. And so far we've got, uh, we've got Alfred the Butler from both of those guys this year. <laughs> yeah, so we'll see. Uh, you know, uh, I think he's going to be a candidate that we'll have to watch close at the trade deadline that last year, similar to how Bradley Chubb was maybe on the move this year. All right, with these last seven games left in the season, what do you need to see from Trevor to go into next year and feel confident that we can end the talk, he's the guy, it's I, done? I think the last two games before the bye, Trevor Lawrence is on the uptick. But we've seen this time and again. We saw this during that hot start. He was AFC Player of the, the Month, I believe, wasn't he? Or AFC Player of the Week, something like that. Early, early on in the mm-hmm. season, the first Jaguars guy to get that honor since David Garrard. And then we saw Trevor Flatline. You go into the Eagles game, you have a, an absolutely – confidence shattering game you have a terrible throw against the Texans in the end zone that's picked off you see that play again against the Broncos a pick in the end zone when you couldn't afford to have that in a a one score game and then these last two games before the bye against Vegas and against the Chiefs Trevor has played stable consistent and well so I think if Trevor can continue to stack games like we've seen the last two weeks before the bye that's what I want to see yeah I need him to stack some solid some solid outcomes like that one but I'd like to see him take over at least one game at some point. Just just one game where he goes out there and, and you know, throws for 350, a couple of touchdowns, and you could feel the entire way through that this was Trevor's game. He was in control of it and was really dictating the pace. Have um, not seen that yet. Have not seen that yet. You know, we've seen some games where, you know, I thought his the game against the Chiefs was a great game, probably one of his better games, but I don't think he was – you know, really dictating the pace. If I, if there, if there's one game that he could pull that off in this season, uh, you know, on top of those consistent games, then you close the book on it. This is the guy. He's got Calvin Ridley coming next year. Uh, it's time to get big time and, and move forward with some stuff. Um, with seven games left now, how many of these seven do you think they can win is the question that I think a lot of people want to know. I would be happy with three and four. Down this stretch, that means you beat the Texans, mm-hmm. you beat the Jets, and you maybe get one of two against the Titans. And to me, I think best case scenario is four and three. You, ha- you stitch an upset in there, you win those games, you, you take one from the Titans, you win the Jets, you win the Texans, and you steal a game against maybe the Cowboys, uh, the Ravens, something like that. Four and three at a, at a high point, three and four at a bare minimum for me. I have anything over two wins as a positive. Okay. I think, I think you got to get two. You got to get to at least five <clears throat> wins on the year. Um, give me the Texans and the Jets. I think they can win both of those. I think and the, those you got wins. the Lions too on there. Ah, see, the Lions is my other one that's a winnable game because they're beat up. 
The Lions have had a ton of injuries. They're, they're trying to get DeAndre Swift back in the fold. He hasn't really done much yet. I think the Lions game is winnable, but I've also seen DeAndre Swift rip this team a new one. True. So, <laughs> so I'm not penciling that one in as like a guaranteed win, but that's one where I feel pretty good about their chances of, of pulling out the win. So really anything over two for me, if they can get to six, great. But this is, a, I mean, this is a tough slate. The Lions have played really well mm -hmm. so far this year. The Ravens, I don't see how they pull that one off. But the way this team has played this year, that's the game they'll win or something. Right. Uh, the Ravens game, I mean, we know the Tennessee rec rep against the Jaguars, mm -hmm. and, and the Titans have looked great as of recently. So I don't know how much hope I got right. them, you know, ending that streak. They play well against the Titans here. They can win against t Tennessee and Jacksonville. Um, we know their history in Nashville. They haven't won there since the 1800s, and they never play well in Nashville. So they tend to, to win games against the Titans here for, for some reason. So if, if they can steal that one again, I, I think you could look at a 4-3 and three finish. And that's the last game of the season. Maybe the Titans will have their playoff spot all Maybe, wrapped up. Yes. The AFC South should be already there. So, you know, they, maybe they'll rest Derrick Henry and give up the W. <laughs> We'll see. Uh, so, I mean, there's no way they beat the Cowboys. So, you, you, get, you settle for the other team from Texas, maybe, yeah. even though, you, you know, you lost to them early in the year. I, I don't know. I, it, it, is five wins for Doug Peterson's first year that much of a disappointment? No. But would six wins be that much of a success? No. No, no. But, I, if you're not in the playoffs, it's disappointing. Yeah, and yeah. That's, that's how Doug Peterson's going to look at it, but... Um, and I think fans will look at it. But, again, if you can double your win total from, from last year's debacle, again, you still probably pick in the top seven in the draft. And, you know, we, we know Jacksonville's first-round draft history has been anything but um, a success. But I do think a jump from three to six wins would be a uh, would be success in, in the, the eyes of fans and a rebuild. Um, you know, next year's going to team's going to look a lot different. You're going to be drafting again in the, in the top ten again for the eleventh time in twelve seasons under Shad Khan as owner. Um, and you got to hope that Trayvon Walker puts it together. You got to hope that Tra Trevor Lawrence continues that ascent. So I do think six wins to me is uh, is the floor for them to consider the season a success. Yeah, and right now they're looking at a top five pick. If the season ended today, they'd be in that number five slot. And what's crazy to me is I started. We've reached the time of the year where you start looking at the college draft stuff and you start looking at Tankathon to see where they're going to finish at after the week. We've already reached there. Right, we're, we're already there. there. Yeah, we're 10 weeks into the season and it's November and we're looking at, you know, when teams are going to, what, what the draft looks like. And what's crazy is the Jaguars have invested so much into their defense. Mm -hmm. Draft pick after draft pick, two first round picks a year ago. You got Tyson Campbell, who's a recent draft pick. You've got draft picks all over the place. You've got big money free agents. You brought in Foye, you brought in Shaquille Griffin, you brought in Foley Fatukasi. Yep. All of this investment in the defense is terrible. And all the mock drafts are like, the Jaguars need to add more need to the to defense. Add. And it's like, yeah, the defense is awful. They do, but. Like, at some point, it's like Trevor's sitting over there like Aaron Rodgers, like, help me too. Right. I know they got him Christian Kirk and they, they got Calvin Ridley on the way, but still, you know, the offense isn't exactly perfect. Right. They're tight ends in this draft that would be, you know, head and shoulders above what the Jaguars have had in a long time. Right. It's just, it's just interesting to start looking ahead and, and looking at what this team might look like next year, which is hopefully going to be a, 
a better team. And I think so. And I, I think this is, again, your Trevor year two in the same playbook. Travis Etienne a year older. And um, I think this year, that um, this year is the test, the practice, the get, you know, find out who you can, who can play. That's why I like the Buster Brown move or Bubba Brown, you know, Buster Brown putting them on the outside yeah. and kicking the tires on Trey Herndon. See who can play in this offense and defense in 2023 and see what you've got. I mean, is Chad Muma a guy over Devin Lloyd? Um, see what you have. And I think this is the time to, to find out. I do think – I've liked Devin Lloyd from the outset. He's, he has regressed to me. He's and lost. When, and, and when Chad Muma is getting plays in the fourth quarter of a, of a game that uh, you're still in, I think that asks some questions. Uh, I mean, Devin Lloyd was uh, ESPN's pick as the rookie of the year four games into, the, into mm-hmm. this season. So find out what you have. See what guys can play. And I do think they put the pieces in place for, uh, for next year to take that bigger jump in uh, two, year two of Doug Peterson. If, Chad, if things stay the same and Chad Muma takes the starting job from Devin Lloyd, I, I, that's just a headache that I'm not ready to ready to right. right. I, I, to me, I thought the Muma pick was a wasted, a, <laughs> we a luxury pick, yeah, a luxury pick. And, and now it looks like he might be the guy over because Devin Devin's been confused. He does end up in the right spot sometimes. The ball just seems to find him. Um, I will say this, Frank Frangie, when we we're talking on Teal the show, threw out this idea, and it, basically it was that the defense will. He thinks the defense will eventually morph into what we talked about thinking it would be before they hammered that Trayvon Walker was this outside linebacker that Trayvon will end up being that big defensive mm-hmm. end and then eventually they'll move Devin Lloyd to outside backer let Muma start inside with Foyer and structure it like that and I'm like that that seemed apparent to everyone right. that was what we were talking about before the season started before yep. they you know started hammering home that Trayvon Walker was this outside linebacker it's like he can go put on 10, 15 pounds right. and not lose anything. Right. And I understand they were like, well, maybe we can maximize him. But I'm like, it, you put, if you pick the guy, put him in the best place to succeed. I don't know. We'll, and that's, that, that's, to me, that's, that's the only shot. way that those two picks with Muma made sense. Made sense. It's the only, only way. way. And, again, it's if you're, you just invested a Lewican and a big money free agent, led the NFL in tackles coming into Jacksonville, mm-hmm. and Trayvon was kind of a guy without a position – um, Chad Muma and, and Devin Lloyd play the same position. Yeah. Uh, but to me, I mean, Lloyd's physical traits, he's like a safety almost. Um, he's better on that outside than an inside guy. And to me, I, I don't know why you make that Muma pick unless you plan this hybrid kind of defense to begin with. To me, that, that, that was a luxury pick in the defense you're running now. I just keep thinking of the Vic Fangio defense in San Francisco when Jim Harbaugh was the head coach. Yeah, Patrick Willis on the inside. You could say Foyer Lewican. I'm not saying he's as good as Pat Willis was, but you put him there. Navarro Bowman, very athletic linebacker. Chad Muma, boom. Ahmad Brooks was your outside backer on one side. Basically, he was the designated drop backer, Mm -hmm. Devin Lloyd. He gives you enough pass rush that you can send him sometime. On the other side, you had Alden Smith, Josh Allen, done. And the guy that made all of that work, the unsung hero, was Justin Smith. He got some sacks, but his job was to stunt and mm-hmm. move people out of the way so Alden Smith and Ahmad Brooks, when they sent him, could go eat. Trayvon Walker and, can and be And you're telling Justin me Smith. that Trayvon Walker, as much of an athletic freak he is, and Justin Smith was a hell of a player. Yes. Hell yes. of a player on there. And, but, again, you're not talking Trayvon Walker and Justin Smith. I mean, Trayvon blows him away from a physical standpoint. Yes, 100%. The, the tools he has. So I, I think Trayvon Walker makes more sense on that defensive line mm-hmm. as opposed to a stand-up guy like Josh Allen. And, and maybe after this year, the, the experiment with him as a stand-up guy, um, they see he's not that guy and he's better as a defensive end in that Justin Smith kind of role. 
perfect. Bring him down there. I think he. I think that unlocks the potential to have Foyer on there, Chad Muma, and Devin Lloyd. You move Devin to more of that outside hybrid role where he can cover guys down the field. Mm-hmm. I like to see Devin in coverage more than I like to see Trayvon, that's for sure. Well, yeah, yeah, but, I mean, Devin ain't exactly giving you much more right now because he keeps blowing coverages. So, you know, that athletic ability clearly isn't helping him that much. Right. And we thought that was going to be one of the strengths of his game. I guess we'll see. they still got seven more weeks left in the season. Uh, that means we've got a few more Teal the Shows before we finally wrap this thing up. But that'll do it for today's episode. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.